Welcome back, everybody, to another fun episode of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today I've got a, you know, I'd call him a legend. He'll probably dispute that or agree and take a bow. Um, but this gentleman has figured out how to live the good life and enjoy some great whiskey and travel and document. And uh, he's a guy I always have fun when I see him with. I'd like to welcome Mr. Brad Jaffe. Brad, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Happy holidays. Are we allowed to curse? Yeah, we can do whatever we oh, want. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the show. It's all good. So, Brad, take me on a time trial. Take, I mean, a time trial. Take me on a time capsule. How long have you been in the, in the game for? When um, I say in the game, reporting and having fun with it. Yeah, you know? what game? What game is this? Um, yeah, full time as a dedicated uh, freelance journalist specializing in uh, food, beverage, and travel, all the things that we love to do. Uh, about eight years, or going on nine years, since uh, we're days away from twenty twenty three. But I don't know when this is going to air. So let's say nine years. <laughs> and tell me, prior to that, whiskey knowledge. Oh, yeah. So um, I was actually in television production uh, for a little while there. It was kind of my first career traveling around the country, uh, United States being that country and uh, doing stuff for for NBC Sports at the time. And I would take me to a lot of different corners of the country. And um, during that time, I was really more passionate about beer, I would say, than I was about spirits. Um, but as we know, it takes a lot of great beer to, uh, or a lot of good beer to make a great whiskey. Um, so I kind of started to slowly evolve and, and pivot, especially during that time period. We're talking about, you know, the uh, early 2010s. Um, American whiskey was certainly making some great strides in terms of people realizing that, hey, this is a beverage, this is a liquid that is worth time and investment. And and uh, it's not just something that I I throw back at the bar. This is something. Yeah, that I, I like to call it. Uh, it's, it's not something to numb the pain, whatever mm -hmm. the pain means to you. You know, there's wait, there's, there's actually layers to this. All right. So we're in 2010. OK, keep going. And now you, you notice that American whiskey. Right. So American whiskey is making great strides. I'm starting make more trips actually to, to Louisville, which has uh, become almost like a, a home away from home whenever I'm back in the States. A real pivotal, important moment, seminal moment, as the kids like to say, was when, uh, you know, I used to work on sports, as I said, and, and I was at the Super Bowl covering the New York football giants playing the uh, New England Patriots for the second time. Uh, one of my best friends uh, since kindergarten also worked for NBC Sports as well. And we were there and we got to see our team, the New York Giants, win the Super Bowl, beat Tom Brady a second time. I was there in person and I was like, you know what, this is like as good as as it's going to get this particular career for me, because, um, you know, I'm not really that great at uh, television production. Um, but I had built up a very large base of knowledge in beer and wine and whiskey at that point in time, spirits in general. And I was like, maybe this is a time that I can uh, and should make a pivot in careers because I've already scaled the top of the mountain watching those New York Giants beat Tom Brady. So that was the moment where I was like, maybe I should uh, start to pursue a different career path. And that was February 5th of 2012. And what's whiskey looking like in 2012? American whiskey? Um, certainly, you it's an explosion, a craft, uh, craft spirits explosion. Um, 
So we're starting to see some of our our great brands that we love, um, you know, like Michter's, for example, um, starting to break records uh, with how much they're selling a, a bottle of whiskey for. And now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Pappy Vania is just becoming to, uh, you know, roll out. Uh, Pappy Van Winkle is becoming something that everybody knows about because Bourdain talks about it and it's made its appearance in certain movies with people talking about it. So instead of it being like, you know, oh, Stitzer Weller, this defunct distillery that nobody had heard of, all of a sudden it becomes like this unicorn juice that everybody's trying to pursue. Um, and that, that's kind of where we're at. And we're also at this and, time. And, and, and by the way, you also at that point, the prices were just what the prices were. It was, it was expensive for the time. Who's going right. to drop $79 on an American whiskey? You must be crazy. I can get it for $39.95. Wow, I don't care about the age statements. So like this is starting. The, the the wheels are turning. Okay. <laughs> and and if you're, you know, a savvy drinker at that point in time, well, not even savvy, if you're just um taking advantage of the landscape, you're pounding Weller at that point in time for $30 a bottle, um, mm-hmm. out of those ugly ass plastic cap bottles. Um, and you're thinking, like, this is great. This is, you know, everybody's going crazy about Pappy, but meanwhile, I know I'm drinking the same juice at a fraction of the cost what could ever possibly go wrong. And then obviously as soon as people start to become aware and start to go down the rabbit hole, we live in this era of um, endless information of our, at our fingertips. People can just do a little bit of cursory research and, and find things out. And uh, it, it becomes a, a, you know, a, a runaway success and the prices start to skyrocket from there. On the secondary, you know, at retail, it really didn't, they didn't really, they haven't moved since then significantly compared to what they have on secondary market, which always blows my mind. You know, I was at Buffalo Trace a few weeks ago and I'm sitting in the room with Harlan and I'm like, I just don't understand why you don't charge a little bit extra and keep more money in your company because they're doing it out. Once it leaves this building, everybody's taking a piece. Yeah, of course. And and that just shows that, um, you know, I don't I don't know. It, It seems foolhardy, right, because they're not bringing in a ton more revenue that they could be, but they're also not, um, you know, making a lot of enemies. Everybody loves Buffalo Trace. Who has something bad to say about Buffalo Trace? No. And I mean, I, you know, my, that was my first time getting a full tour of the place. Um, and I was just, I mean, I'm like, how did you build this in the 1800s? You know, like horses and donkeys and oxen are bringing in huge amounts of sand and rock and they're using horse hair in the walls. And I'm like, what is this place? You know, in 1800s to foresee that what they did is, is phenomenal. But I always, you know, like I look at the pricing and I'm just like, man, like take yourself an extra 30 bucks on a pappy, you know? And yeah, they're not making enemies. You know, I totally agree with you on that. Everyone loves it. I mean, I don't like, you know, I get to see some of the other side of it be where, you know, for a liquor store to get a pappy, they've literally got to, you know, hand over children throughout the year to whatever the distributor is. Right. In order to have the luxury of that. But I think that's just part of the distribution game, which is a whole nother show. Yeah, I think that um, they definitely I don't know what their conversations are like. I don't know what Harlan said to you, but I don't you know, it's it's beyond Harlan's pay grade is ridiculous. Oh, God, you know, 100%. He's, no, no. And he's, he's been totally, making this stuff. But, it, you know, it'd be interesting to see, like, what those conversations are like amongst the suits when they're talking about you know, um, what it has gone up a little bit in SRP, obviously, since the days that we're talking about, yeah. not eligible, maybe doubled, but we're talking about like, you know, a bottle of Pappy 23, probably the SRP on that is still what, like $199? No, I think 23 is now 279 SRP. Okay. 
But I think, yeah. you know, they're still giving it to these guys probably at the same price. And Harlan, actually, in that meeting, he pretty much said to me, he's like, man, you should come to some of the corporate meetings because it is above his pay. No, he's not involved in that. He makes the whiskey. Yeah. I'm like, man, there's a, you know, because I think that every one of these, you know, you said a few minutes ago, we're in this time where, you know, information is at our fingertips mm -hmm. and you can see it. And I got to imagine, I mean, I know when I first started hanging out with the Mictors crew, I'd be like, can you believe that a Mictors 20 goes for like, you know, 3,500? They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wait, wait, it's supposed to be 700. Like, how, how's it going for 3,500? I'm like, well, you know, it gets to the store and they can charge whatever they want. So I think with this age of uh, information, even, you know, the, the, the distilleries are kind of like, whoa, what's going on out there? But, you know, that's, that's a whole, like I said, that's a whole nother show. So let's get back to the Brad show. American whiskey, everything's good. We're now 2013, 2014. When right. do you start to play with scotch? Because you've really done some great scotch travels. Yeah, and thank you. I appreciate that, and and um, thank you for calling me a legend earlier. I didn't want to <laughs> stand in the way with your Jesus. But yeah, at this point, at this point in my life, uh, if we're going back to 2012, 2013, I'd never even been to to Scotland before. So you know, I'm still much more an American whiskey drinker at that point. Scotch was something that I was just starting to kind of open up my palate to. And I didn't even make it to Scotland for the first time until 2014. It's kind of funny, but when I look back on what helped me make that transition from American whiskey to the the, the land of Scotch, certainly there's a little bit of a bridge there of, of Irish whiskey, which is, I think, generally speaking, a lot more accessible to palates than certainly the Isla stuff. But when I got into, when I fell in for Scotch, I like really went ham on that Isla peated stuff. You know, like I was uh, uh, just an unabashed peat head um and that's what really started to just captivate me and draw me in and when i look back on it i think that one of the original drams that brought me into that world and into that fray was um have you ever tried um what is it uh campfire from high west yes and this is a, a blended whiskey that you know it's it's predominantly rye i believe but there's a component yeah. of of scotch that's in it and it was just kind of like this gateway scotch for me i think everybody kind of has to have like a gateway product um that gets them you know passionate about a certain category and for me i kind of like dip my toes with this component of uh of peat and then slowly it's surely it just started to captivate me and take over my world because i'm like there's there's nothing else that i know that that tastes like there's no food or drink that tastes like peated scotch tastes like right so like when you're tasting no. burp you're like okay well i get caramel notes i get vanilla and you you compare it to all these lovely things and then you get to the world of, of isla scotch and you're like okay this tastes like band-aids burnt rubber hospital beds on fire right and that's just like <laughs> so bizarre but also like the fact that we love that it's like what is wrong with us do we need to like talk to psychiatrists or something like why is this something that just takes us over on a cellular level i don't understand because i think it's like nothing else i mean it really is nothing comparable i mean no right. one I, I don't even like i'm trying to you know like it's just such a unique and i'm not a big peat head by any means i'm i like like the sweet peats you know right. when they when they throw a little sweetness in there together all right so, yeah. so now you're gonna go to scotland where are you going 
Right. So this is the funny part is that I go there in 2014 and I'm writing a story for uh, Connie Das Traveler about kind of touring um, Scotland in search of initially it was going to be like in search of Whiskey Island in search of uh, Isla and and this pilgrimage to go out there, um, which, you know, is really something that is necessary i think for anybody that gets really into scot uh, into whiskey from that part of the world or into that particular t- style of scotch is that it's transportive like it makes you feel that you're in this part of the world and you have to identify it you need to see it before i ever went to isla in my head i had this very vivid concept conceptualization of what isla meant to me and what it was just because i consumed the the lifeblood of this island which was peated scotch excuse me so i make it out there in like september of 2014 and there's crazy weather there's crazy storms and and even by scott uh, scottish standpoint even by scottish standards there were there's like a hurricane out in the in the hebridian (laughs) isles so they're like i land in glasgow and they're like yeah there's no way that you can go to isla like you can't even take a ferry there right now because we've grounded the ferries i'm like Wow. Well, now I'm going to have to just kind of rebound and 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 kind of be adaptable here. And the the earliest distillery tour that I could get outside of Glasgow was a, a, a brilliant, beautiful distillery called Glengoyne, which is uh-huh. notorious and very famous for you know adamant about not making peated whiskey, right? <laughs> so now, as a peat head, I'm in Scotland and I'm touring this facility, but. All of the liquid that I'm tasting is non-peated whiskey. And that, again, was an eye-opening experience for me and let me understand kind of some of the nuances and the subtleties and the other delicious traditional components of this liquid that go beyond the stuff that's like crack you over the top of the head, which is what being a peat head is about. I'm an American, as I discussed before, like I came into this world through beer. I'm obviously into IPAs because craft beer drinkers love that kind of stuff. There's a lot of analogs there, right? Because you like the peat, mm-hmm. like the peated stuff. You like the hoppy stuff. It's like subtlety balance be damned i want to taste the most bitter insane beer drinking experience i want to taste the smokiest rubber tar iodine experience in my scotch but you know you you grow up a little bit and you realize that hey that stuff is always going to be there for you but it's nice to see subtlety it's nice to see refinement and then maybe go back to those worlds of extremes and you're at glenn going which really is like you know known by the locals it's not a major international brand Right. You know, they they have a footprint, but I mean, you're in what, September 2014, like, you know, it still hasn't happened yet. And and I would imagine you're drinking what, like, 12 years old, 18, there's no real reason for them to age it any longer at that point. They had 21 and they had like this teacup expression that was really beautiful stuff so yeah it it, it was glenn going it was for me in 2014 and again i'm just getting into scotch at this point in time you know i knew very little about this facility but it was a great intro because of how uh refined as i mentioned their liquid is but also the facility itself is so traditional and from a geographic standpoint it sits right on that demarcation right on that line that divides highland from lowland and in fact they would say that like their stills just north of this road are are you know it's a highland malt but their barrel facility is just south of that road so it's technically aging in a facility that's in the lowlands yeah, so <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually know that. I mean, I drink it. You know, I like their age stuff. You know, I'm I'm obsessed with what the barrel does and Mother Nature. Right. You know, just let it be, let it do its thing. 
and Glengoyne makes, you know, solid, solid, solid whiskey. Right. And also just to step back from Scotland for a second, I'd forgotten another transition there from, you know, dabbling with, with that high West product is that I went to Ireland. And as I mentioned, Ireland provided this Mm -hmm. uh, meaningful transition for me, but I remember one time making it out uh, on a bus ride into the middle of the country to Kilbagan distillery, which is really, really beautiful. And that was the first time that I'd really enjoyed a dram of Connemara and Connemara is an Irish peated malt, um, which is, you know, a little bit of an outlier. There's not a lot of peated whiskey coming from the Emerald Isles. Um, and it was it spoke so much to me of a sense of place because it was cold and damp, believe it or not, in, in Ireland in that <laughs> April. And so I step inside and I drink this liquid and it was like, this smells like what the countryside evokes, you know, and it's like taking that that experience, something experiential that you're feeling and bringing it inside of you. It's such like an intimate thing that you really never, ever forget um, that moment. You never forget your first time, Gavin. And the, and, and these aren't high ABV whiskeys, like our American stuff. These are like, you know, what do they do? Like 43s to 45s? Yeah, the Connemara, I can't remember what Connemara's b- bottle it, but certainly it's not cast strength, right? It's, it's yeah. closer to what are your yeah, I mean that was you know Scott. You know, I, for me growing up, the scotches were like beautiful and delicate, and mm-hmm. you know just floral and exciting and easy to drink. Whether you wanted it neat or with ice, however you wanted. Whereas American whiskey in general was like, ooh, that's alcohol. That yeah. burns. <laughs> <laughs> that's alcohol. <laughs> Which is funny because then, yeah, and for sure when I go back then from uh, developing this love affair with scotch, and I will say today, after I think 19 or 20 uh, trips to Scotland, that I think it's safe to say that that's my favorite category of spirit. And I say uh-huh. that as uh, somebody that needs in my life to always be coming back to American whiskey. I think it's crazy that like people would only be devoted to one category because it just gets so boring after a while. Like I'm in love with scotch. I spend a week in Scott in Scotland touring distilleries. And then I come back to the States. The first thing I want to do is drink like some barrel strength, uh, kick you in your ass bourbon, like assertive (laughs) stuff, sort of juice. And then I appreciate it that much more because, you know, it's like your palate has been dragged so much in one direction. You want to go another direction. And then for me, and, you know, when I want to take a break from, uh, you know, grain spirit in general, I will go towards agave spirit. And my secondary love, I would say, is definitely, uh, you know, mezcal and and tequila and bacanora and some of these other things that are coming up from the hinterlands of Mexico. So for me, it's all about, you know, finding these stories and finding diversity um, in the product and in the people making these products that allows you to kind of always find something new and exciting to tickle your palate. I mean, I think you hit the day and the people making it because I, you know, I've only been, I've only been dabbling in the space for, you know, almost eight years now and the passion of the people making it these days. And, and consistently, it's just like, it takes a passionate person to make a spirit. I'm a firm believer. Like, Anything that I've ever enjoyed was made by somebody that was truly passionate about it. It wasn't just, you know, a line and out the door and, and stamp it and get it out. Yeah. And meeting some of these people and watching them transition or, or meeting these people that have had the same job for 30 years. You know, I, you know when I did something with Block Bar where we did these uh, OFCs eight, in 1984, 1982, right. and, you know, Drew and Harlan... I said, what's the difference between the whiskey from, you know, 30 years ago to the whiskey now? They're like with technology. And they said, I'll tell you one thing. It's a lot cleaner. 
you know, we can pick up all the bad stuff and, and get all the impurities out a lot better than we used to. And I'm not saying you're going to get sick from anything. That's never going to happen. <laughs> but it was more like we can, it's visible and we can see it. Yeah. With technology, have, it doesn't mean that we're still not trying everything. You have dedicated labs now, so it's not an organoleptic process so much as it is, you know, using spectomo- spectometry and all these other advanced uh, $100,000 pieces of equipment that back in the day, maybe they'd be reserved for, for medical labs. And now, you know, you're not going to see, you know, a more advanced distillery not having their own kind of lab like this. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, he, I think what, somebody made a joke once, one of the distillers I was talking to, he's like, well, you know, depending on what time of the year, you know, you're, you're making the whiskey, you know, you might have gone to the, an Italian dinner the night before and you got all this garlic in your mouth still and you're tasting <laughs> stuff the next day. He's like, yeah. that stuff doesn't happen very often anymore. You know, oh, yeah, so this thanks whiskey, to technology. This whiskey is particularly garlicky. Maybe we uh, yeah, like, rebarrel it. Check it all out. So yeah. as far so and have you have you've done Japan as well, right? You've done Japanese I, whiskey too? Yes, I've been there a handful of times. I haven't been back since 2019. So definitely high on my list for 2023 is to get back out there. The last time I was there was to visit Chichibu Distillery, which is really mm-hmm. cool up there in the uh the Jap on your way up to the Japanese Alps. Um, and they are doing some masterful things with Cooperage. Um, when I walked into their barrel house, you could just saw all different kinds of barrels in there. Like they're doing stuff with chestnut. They're doing stuff. Obviously they, you know, they, they, they make some of their own barrels. Um, they, they make some, uh, they're one of the only places, one of the only distilleries that has their own cooperage where they're building stuff uh, with some Mizanara staves, which is obviously the buzzword for mm-hmm. staves, but they're one of the only ones crafting those in terms of a distillery that's doing it themselves. So that was really cool to see an operation on that level. Japanese whiskey is obviously back in the first time I went there was right around that same time when I had gone to Scotland. I went to to Japan shortly thereafter and I went to uh, Yamazaki Distillery uh, outside of Osaka. And in I want to say it was late 2014, I could still get pours of whatever I wanted. Everyone Um, wanted Hibiki 30s, 25s. You know, you were you were the guy that was spending what? $47 $47 compared to the other people that were spending $9 for the regular tasting. <laughs> like, you know, I thought in my mind, like there has to be some catch, like that somebody's going to come and like try and take me away. Cause I'm breaking some sort of Japanese law an unspoken law where it was like, you know, Yamazaki 25 at the distillery was like $15 for a one ounce pour or for a 25 CL pour or 25 ML. And and just, and for, for people listening, those bottles now go for about twelve and a half thousand dollars per bottle. Yeah. SRP is around, I think, $24.99 now, uh, right. to, you know, $2,499. And they go for, you know, five, five, six X out the door immediately. And it, you know, for me, coming from this whole Scotch background, growing up in South Africa, and then coming here and really still staying. And then I tried Japanese whiskey and I was like, this is something different. And this is like before there's any hype to it. So like, I was like, man, the guy, whoever made this, like he just wanted to make something perfect. I, 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 it was like a full on foodie experience for me, trying the Yamazaki 18 and the Yamazaki Sherry cask. It was like having a chef make the most amazing food, specially for me. And in my mind, it was like, it's just going to be perfect or they're not going to do it. Yeah, it's also kind of weird how 
you get to these uh, destinations in roundabout ways. And I mean, flavor destinations, because I was saying that it was an American whiskey and then a, a peated Irish that got me into Isla whiskeys, right? And then now that I think about it, going to uh, Japan for the first time and, and trying some of these elder statesmen from Yamazaki and some other things that had a huge sherry influence, that was kind of what got me into sherry bombs. And mm -hmm. you know, that that is, of course, um, something that if you are a scotch drinker, um, it's it's a blessing and a curse. They're beautiful, beautiful whiskeys, but they also tend to be some of the most expensive whiskeys, the ones that have the large component of being aged in sherry barrels or, you know, the sherry characteristics of those dark fruits, dark notes, darker liquids themselves. And it was drinking Yamazaki 25 that I was like, holy crud, like screw this ex-American oak stuff, you know, like I need to be drinking as much sherry influenced whiskey as possible, which then launched me to go, uh, persuaded me, inspired me to go to the southwestern part of Spain and actually see uh, the bodegas of Jerez um, and, and see sherry get made. And then, you know, eventually I arrived at a deep and profound love of the oxidative sherries, not so much the PX, um, and, and the super, super sweet uh, dessert type sherries, but those oxidative finos and amontillados, um, you know, Oloroso, these are nutty. And they're just, they again, like we we're talking about with the peated whiskey, it's these uh, components that flavor notes that you can't really compare or liken to anything else. They are their own thing. Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, I still say, people say, what's the best Japanese whiskey you drank? And I'm like, 2012 Hakushu uh, sherry cask because it had mm -hmm. that little like hint of, of smokiness to it, you know, right. traditional of Hakushu, but the sherry is just so dominant and delicious. And it's just, I mean, I, you know, I just had some 2014 the other day. And of course, you know, minute differences between 2012 and 2014 because it was still the person making that like was making it really for themselves. The world hadn't known that this was greatness yet you know right. the world was very much scotch driven and you know i've spoken to quite a few people now you know on the podcast right, about american whiskey and it was like really it was like jack daniels jim beam maker's mark and that was right. like american whiskey and then all of a sudden you know everybody came but that same phenomenon that i had when i had japanese whiskey you know we'll go back to you know a dear friend of ours you know to mixtures the first mm -hmm. time I drank with Joe, I'm like, Joe's doing the same thing. So you know, him and the team, they're making whiskey here that is absolute perfection. And they're not going to release it unless it isn't. That's it. <laughs> you know, It wasn't about like, hey, I want to, you know, I'm be in every corner and for sale over there. It was just like, no, we're going to make the best whiskey we, that possibly can be made. Yeah. No, and, and it's funny, the three brands that you bring up from the American side, which are you know, the, the, the real stalwart, the, the standout stars of American whiskey for all these years, when it comes to Jack, when it comes to makers, when it comes to beam. And now all of a sudden in this incredible era that we live in, each one of those distilleries has found a way because for a while there, they're a victim of their own success, right? Or mm -hmm. nobody that's a, you know, a craft, a, a self-avowed self-styled craft spirits drinker is going to be caught dead drinking Jack Daniels, right? That's way below them. Right. Or to have yep. Jim, like white label right or or even to drink makers which is the silliest of them all from to be dismissive of in my opinion because all these people that go crazy for pappy mania it's like well then why wouldn't you like makers like it's it's a weeded bourbon like do you like weeded bourbon yeah. or 
just like whiskeys that have high price tags on it. But anyhow, <laughs> each one of these three uh, great examples have found a way uh, to hit their stride with these luxury products, like the the best high end uh, whiskeys being made right now in America. I think a lot of them are coming from Jack Daniels. A lot of their special releases, a lot of their barrel strength, uh, single barrel stuff is like blowing my mind. Um, I just drank the new one. I just drank the new, uh, the single, the double single, whatever the latest one. I mean, I went to Jack Daniels five years ago and I asked them, why aren't, why aren't you doing any innovation? And they were kind of like, what? We don't have to. We're Jack Daniels. <laughs> like, you know, like we just make our regular stuff and everybody loves it. And and if you look like you're saying in the last two years, like that Koi Hill, you know, the oh, this one, gosh. I forget what the one I just had the other day, but I'm like, oh, man, like crazy. that is phenomenal juice and it's affordable if you can get it, which is, is trickier and trickier. But it's kind of like American whiskey. If you actually are available, if you have the ability to get it at SRP is the best bang for buck. Yeah, you know, like I, I look at that, like if you could actually get, you know, a Van Winkle 10 for seventy nine ninety five, you probably, you know, if you could actually get a Mictor's 10 for one hundred and twenty nine dollars, like it's phenomenal whiskey. You know, these these uh, what did I pay for my for my Jack Daniels? I think I got it at BevMo, you know, having to pull all kinds of strings for I think it was seventy nine ninety five. Phenomenal whiskey for that price compared to other stuff where I look at it now you know, on the Scotch or the Japanese where they're hundreds and thousands of dollars out the gate. Yeah, of like, course. That's just standard pricing, you know? You know, no, the Hibiki 30 is back in the market now. You know, they, yeah. they re-released it. You know, I think that's four grand just to start. Of course. And uh, and Yamazaki 55 release. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was, in, I was in Orlando two weeks ago. They wanted at, uh, at uh, Morimoto's place there he wanted four thousand dollars for an ounce, <laughs> right? Of the fifty-five, yeah, of the fifty-five. <laughs> yeah, well, compared to coastal prices, that would maybe be a bargain. Because um, yeah. in New York, if you saw that for four thousand dollars for an ounce, um, you'd maybe think of that as a, as a deal. But you know, there's like you know, that's one extreme. Another extreme is just like I'm saying, like you know, Maker's Mark. Getting back to them, uh, same company actually, both part of the. Mm-hmm. On, Centauri umbrella and yep. makers mark the wood finishing series that they that they started coming out with a couple years ago i mean it's strength to strength every one of their releases i'm just so psyched for and i'm like this is going to knock it out of the park um it's it's assertive as we're talking about like you know like to you you want it to be punchy with your american whiskey but just because it's punchy doesn't mean that it just you know is is all alcoholic heat no it's just like it, it's just a scent it's muscular you know and and it, i love it like I say, I love every single one of those releases and I'm always looking forward to them. Well, I just did another uh, Maker's Mark barrel pick and, you know, I was just blown away going through all the new series over there. And and I love, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for history and integrity. And that's another campus you walk around, you're like, whoa, like, what was it like when, you know, pre-cell phone, pre the internet, pre everything, where you just came to work, made whiskey, had a great day. You maybe got a couple of, you know, a couple of pints to take home on a Friday. You went home and you came back to work on Monday. Yeah, totally. And also <laughs> you were talking about the, the pioneering nature of some of these brands when it comes to uh, makers and the history there. Um, you know, this was the original uh, distillery tour. This was the original visitor center. When they were doing that and building that up, like it was still insane 
to think, you know, that people would come out of their way as a, to make a distillery a tourist destination, which we look back on now. We're like, what is that really like that recent of a phenomenon? But it kind of is like these were just warehouses. These were just facilities um, where things were getting produced. It wasn't thought of as a destination. No, I mean, I, if I look at how the bourbon trail, every, you know, any trip I ever do to Kentucky, I get hit up 50 times. Hey, I'd love to come with you next time. I'm like, I'm good, but thank you for the offer. Because it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a mecca. And I guess, you know, for you way more than me, like the fact that we get to look behind the scenes and, and enjoy just some more of the stuff. It's like, I, I'm so grateful every time I get an experience. Yeah. To just right. go kind of like, well, like, like this Buffalo Trace, you know, spending time, you know, that morning walking around. And then I got to try the 2022 BTAC with Harlan, you know, just him and I you know, and Amy in the room. And it's kind of like, I was like, wow, this is pretty darn special. And they've been making that for what, 22 years now, 20 years, something like that. It was, it was right when Harlan first started working there, you know, and you think about the Buffalo Trace antique collection, how, you know, 17, 18 year old whiskey consistently made same recipe every single year released for seventy nine ninety five. Secondary starts at 500 goes all the way up to 1800 every single year. You know, yeah. for the last five, six years, you know, prior to that, you know, seventy nine ninety five, And that was that was a lot of money to pay for whiskey. No, absolutely. I mean, a real highlight of my year. Um, and, you know, I traveled to Scotland a handful of times and, and went to too many distilleries to even count. But amongst that, the, the one real standout moment will be having a dinner with uh, Drew Mayville uh, of uh, Buffalo Trace yeah. and of Sazerac. And, and they just busted out all these crazy things. Like I'd never tried the double Eagle rare before. And on this menu at this dinner was like five different things, including Drew's blend that he did with the last drop um, yep. this year absolutely sensational um and then you have the double eagle rare which is just kind of like this unicorn amongst unicorns and it kind of you know ofc i think it was the 95 mm -hmm. ofc that was tasted that evening and i actually prefer the double eagle rare i think the double eagle rare um kind of showed up everything else um was tasting better um and showing better and and i was very surprised by that because i knew it would be great liquid of course i knew it'd be great juice but you know, there's this showmanship to the double Eagle rare where it's like, okay, it's got this crazy crystal decanter with the Eagle topper and that maybe just maybe there's a little bit more showiness there than the actual substance of the liquid itself. But I couldn't have been more wrong because that was just like, oh man, it was like, uh, I want to say like, I haven't, I haven't had it in, in a couple of years. And actually where I last saw you here in San Diego in La Jolla, Marisi, <laughs> Bo got a bottle. I've got to actually... I got to go get try some of that with you. He has him. a bottle behind the uh, bar. That guy is yeah. legitimately the stuff that he can <laughs> Hey, you know, the whole, the family that he works for are a family of magicians. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've known a couple of the, of the dads of the kids that work there for years. And I mean, it's, it's couldn't, couldn't be better deserved all the stuff that they've done and, you know, in the right. restaurant business the last couple of years. But yeah, that whiskey selection. It's pretty for, insane at Barisi. <laughs> at an Italian restaurant, mind you. Yeah, so like, you know, he's like, oh, I just got all the new Yamazaki stuff and I just got this and I got that. And I'm like, you know, you know, I was expecting to drink some some good red wines and Barolos and maybe finish <laughs> off with a couple of like more esoteric Amari. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I see that the guy's got like a, his own barrel of a Buffalo Trace that he has in that he's keeping outside. So, you know, as your listeners, I'm sure know, you know, you can go out and choose 
um, single barrels uh, expressions. It's something that a lot of restaurants and a lot of uh, on-premise and off-premise accounts will do. But I've not seen somebody taking all that liquid and then pouring it back into the barrel that it came from once they get it on site. That's a very unusual no, thing. No, and he's doing the same. I think they, he told me they're doing the same with the Blantons that's coming in. That's <laughs> So you're hey, very it's lucky an experience to have that. And, and it's, yeah, oh my God. Well, very lucky know. to have that in your backyard. And to your listeners, you know, I was just there for dinner. I was writing about uh, kind of some new and, and exciting bars and restaurants in San Diego. Your listeners can read about that uh, at my column at, uh, with Forbes. But just by chance, you're in the restaurant. <laughs> I see you in there and I'm like, oh boy, here comes trouble. And I think we ended up uh, drinking a little bit of uh, uh, some Sazerac okay. products. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, it's it's always nice for San Diego because normally I got to go to Vegas or New York or, yeah. you know, L.A. for for a good whiskey experience. And San Diego's got some solid ones. So as far as so for 2022, the Drew Mabel experience definitely was up there for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in if I, if you were going to, you know, and you don't have to make it one, you can make it two or three, whatever you feel, you know, but in the eight years, top standout performances of experience. I mean, I, I'd imagine Glenn going because that was the first time, but I mean, you've done a lot of stuff since then and you've spoken about that one. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I'm really big into, um, uh, you know, Sherry expressions mm -hmm. these days and, and have been for many years. So the first time I went to Glendronic and oh. uh, maybe stepped uh. on one <laughs> of these uh, Dunnage warehouses and, um, you know, we would never taste things from the barrel because that would be against um, the no, no. <laughs> of uh, the United Kingdom. And we want uh, His Majesty to get everything that is due to him in terms of taxation. But theoretically, if we had a, uh, a whiskey thief, and we're just drawing from some of these most magnificent barrels that they had in their stock and just pouring them into glass dram after dram. That would be uh, really high up there in terms of experience. I remember the first time I went to Centauri and me and one of my buddies is also a whiskey writer um you know we had had an experience like that in scotland and we're like well you know let's ask the the our caretaker here uh from centauri if we could draw from one of the barrels and they looked at us like we had 10 heads because the <laughs> idea of proper people of japan and and you know obviously everything's by the book there the idea that you would ask is like such a dishonorable thing i would imagine i would imagine but if but but take that moment and if you think pre you know centauri becoming you know, who they are today, the big thing there was owner's casks. You mm -hmm. know, they would they would release, I mean, there's hundreds, at least, if not thousands, of different owner's casks where, you know, hey, there's an event coming up, you know, it's whatever, it's something big. Oh, let's go grab a single barrel, let's bottle it and put, you know, boom, done. I mean, one mm -hmm. of the most legendary would be the, in 2014, Suntory did for the Peninsula Tokyo. Yeah, and right. you know, they're, they're, it's still unknown what's in there. And I, I own a bottle, and I've actually been fortunate to drink it twice. And I'm like, shit, I, I, whatever's in there is absolute magic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and there's there's a little bit of everything. It's a blend of who knows what. And you'll never be able to recreate it again. So no, no, it is. You know, and, and so so it, it was like that was I guess Centauri was already whiskey thieving, except they were calling them owners' casts. Yeah, <laughs> they just weren't letting the public come and do it. Okay, one one more great experience. Give me a, an American whiskey experience. Ah, <laughs> oh, American whiskey. Oh well, God, that's hard. I got to put you on yeah. there. 
As you know, because, um, you know, we're both very big fans of Mictors. The first time that I went there to Shively and just had like a tasting mat of every single expression that we've done throughout the years, um, you know, going all the way up to Celebration, every everything from the US one to Celebration and everything in between. And to be able to taste with the Magliocos and, you know, um, with Dan and with Pamela and, and just the stuff that they've done and the passion as you touched upon earlier that they have for the product it's just that was really impressive to me and it sticks out yeah i mean that 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 tasting mat is hard to touch i mean you know i did but the first tasting i ever did with them was in new york and then joe was like anytime you're in kentucky and then i went to kentucky and and then i did it with andrea and then Um, i you know I, one of the, you know, the pride and joy of, of my whiskey collection is my 2014 Mictors Rye, which, uh-huh. you know, it's the kids college fund, you know, unless everything changes, who knows, that one's going to be a hard one for me to part with if I ever decide to part at any point, because it's just, <laughs> so I had asked, when I'll like, know that there's, that's when I'll know that maybe there's something going wrong in your life is when I see that going up for yeah. sale. I'm going to check no, that one's... Gavin to make sure that everything's okay with him. Yeah, that one just, and then I got the chance to try it. And I remember Dan had actually just, Pam had just, you know, retired and Dan had stepped up. And it was yeah. me, Andrea, and Dan sitting in the office upstairs at Shively. And I'd asked Andrea if I could try the, the rye. And she's like, oh, I don't know. You know, we don't really normally keep it around here. Let me see what I can do. So that day when I came, we had the rye. And she said to Dan, hey, Dan, here's this guy from Instagram. And Dan's like, hey, nice to meet you. And he's going to shoot a bunch of video. And I'm just going to sit here and, and, and just relax. And we sat there and we poured that rye. And Andrea and I just looked at each other and we're like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Just wow. And, and, and again, like whenever you're drinking with Andrea and Dan, like their their passion is so exuberant. They just love what they do, you know? And I always try and just, you know, I stand in awe of that energy and I always try and remember kind of their earnest, um, just awe that they have for what they do and try and and instill that in, you know, if I have a a strong workload or if I'm like traveling like 17 connections to get somewhere and it's a pain in the butt, it's just like, think about what you're getting to do and the the awesomeness of it and just kind of put things into perspective. And I just can't imagine um, somebody like Dan or Andrea, like ever like having a bad, I'm sure it happens, but like, I just can't imagine with their energy and and the love and the passion that they have, that they just have bad days at the office. And, and, you know, we'll end on this. It's, I honestly, it's nonstop because, you know, they'll work all day. And if I'm in town, you know, they'll be like, all right, we'll go for dinner at eight o'clock. And I'm like, wow, you've been going since like seven this morning. And you just, you're coming and you're just happy and we're going to have a great time. Yeah. (laughs) It's a special family over there. It it really is. I'll see them next month in New York. Looking forward to hanging out with them. Brad, I can't thank you enough, brother man, for coming on today. Of course. Thank Um, you. We we get to do something super fun and drink amazing whiskey. and, And I think educate. You know, big part, obviously that, you know, you have a huge role in the education. I've kind of, you know, tried to, through through my Instagram, help brands out that don't have multi-million dollar marketing budgets that just make amazing whiskey and yeah. talk about them and give them the justice that, that they deserve without having to pay for it. Um, and there's some amazing whiskey and I think it'll continue. And I think we're going to start to see, me personally, I think we're going to start to see some of these smaller distilleries that kind of haven't had um, their time to shine, maybe start to come out again 
because they have that whiskey that's been sitting there and they really haven't had the market. And it just takes a little bit of a, a spark to, you know, somebody to express interest and we can start to see some of that stuff come out. Absolutely. I mean, I was just at a distillery uh, the other day, um, north of, I'm from New York, from Westchester County, was visiting my family and somebody invited me to come check out this uh, distillery, 10 mile distillery. That's about an hour north of where I grew up in Westchester. And they had brought in this incredible um, distiller from Scotland. Um, what's the name? Shane. Um, can't, I'm blanking, blanking on his last name right now, but he was from Wolfburn, Shane Frazier. And so they brought in this guy from, from Scotland to help build this still house in a rural part of upstate New York. And they are just trying to recreate everything that would have gone into traditional scotch. Um, meaning scotch that would have been made a hundred years ago before modern machination would have allowed people to just press a button. The the whole point I'm getting at here is just this is just some random place that's an hour away from where I grew up and I you know knew nothing about it. And somebody's like, Yeah, you should go check this out. And I stumble upon it, and it turns out that there's a world-class Scotsman making this product and it's about to hit market. And think about how many craft operations there are like that around the country. Um, that as you say, maybe don't have a huge marketing budget or don't have a huge supply, but it's it's aging right now and mm-hmm. it, getting ready to hit the market. And you just have to keep an open mind and realize that there's a lot to be discovered out there. And just because you haven't heard of something before, doesn't mean that it's not great. It means maybe just the opposite. It's waiting, awaiting to be discovered. And, and you could be the person to stumble upon. Your listeners can be the person to stumble upon whatever is the next Michter's or whatever is the next, you know, uh, Centauri, you know, Mike Miyamoto, Miyamoto-san, who would go around the world uh, peddling Centauri whiskey uh, 20 years ago when people were like, Japanese whiskey? What the hell is that? And he couldn't get people to stop at his booth at, at a whiskey uh, you know, uh, forum or uh, a whiskey festival. People would walk right by. You know, and all of a sudden something clicks, the right article gets made or, you know, somebody posts something to their Instagram and it catches fire, yeah. goes viral. And like that should be so exciting to people is to find like that new stuff that hasn't been discovered yet. I mean, that's why I still love going to the shows, because you just never know what you're going to walk into and where they got it, especially these independent bottlers. You know, they're finding these, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, dormant distilleries or maybe not lot- so dormant. We have a lot more to talk about with independent distillers. Yeah. See, this is the problem. I have my family waiting for me now. But this is what happens right. when you get whiskey geeks next to one another. They just keep freaking chatting until. Well, I'm definitely going to do oh, a, sh- a show on independent multiples. So we'll do it again. Brad, enjoy the rest of your trip. I appreciate you, my friend. We will Happy chat soon. Holidays. Happy, Happy holidays, everybody. Happy everything. And <laughs> I appreciate you, my brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.